Hello. Welcome to True Hoop with me, Gerard Hector, and Coach David Thorpe. How are you, sir? Do you know what month this is, Gerard? Black History Month? <laughs> <laughs> of the 12 months that we have, yeah. That is not the only thing that's in the month of February. You know what else is happening this month? You're going on vacation. That's one thing. All-Star break. All-Star break. I don't care what the All-Star game. Yeah, right, right. It's the break that we're celebrating Correct. here. Correct. Valentine's Day, a holiday that Your I birthday. And my birthday, my last year in the 50s, buddy. <laughs> this is it. I know I, I don't sound as old as I look, I'm sure. Um, you, yeah, I'm fucking, you know. You don't know this. You don't know. You didn't know me at 49. No. But at 49 and a half, my wife and I initially thought we would go to Napa, which we're going this summer, it looks like. We've never nice. done it before. I'll, I'll, I know I'll, I'll send you some vineyards to go to. That I like. Yeah, well, my my college roommate is like in the business, so that'll help too. But yeah. I'll take anything you got. Um, and then I just said, I don't want to fucking the week I have off. And back then it wasn't a week. Remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like four days, yeah. right? Yeah. I just want to just let's just do a party and let people make fun of me. So we did a big roast and toast here at the house. Uh, we had like seventy five people over, freezing cold, and uh, yeah, I just got I just got roasted, <laughs> but. Um, it was you know, turning 50, so so all year long I was saying, like on Facebook posts, whatever, fuck 50. So my wife made up balloons of an old white dude shooting the bird saying fuck 50 all over the house, everywhere. It was great. Napkins. Yeah, we had to cater it in. It was a whole thing. So we're not doing that this time. We'll be away. But um, fuck 60. That's my new thing this year, right? Once I turn 59, fuck 60. Well, you know, you have referenced your age a lot recently. I mean, you do all the yeah. time, but you Bring really it on, baby. I mean, how are you really feeling about it? Look, David, to me, 60 is the new, like, 40. Like, you're going to buy a lip to your 90-something years old anyway. I mean, you got many years to go. Mom, yeah, my mom is going to be 82. Right. And she's doing really well. Um, and her mom lived to her 90s. Uh, it's funny you asked that question. You didn't know I was going to bring this up. Uh, I've, I've dreamed a lot recently of my dad, mm. who's no longer with us, obviously. And for the first time in my life, I have thought about, like, what it's going to be like. I thought one time I thought about, what if I lost my wife? Like, what in the fuck would I do? That was a dark place. And then more recently, including yesterday, I woke up from a, a dream thinking, um, man, I just want to enjoy life as much as I can because it, I, I've never had these thoughts before ever. And I'm healthy. I, I just went to the heart doctor recently. Mm -hmm. I've seen the brain doctor. Like, mm -hmm. I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. But I will tell you, I've never had these thoughts before. And I just have so much to do still. Mm. I don't. I told my wife, no more looking forward to anything. It'll come when it comes. Mm -hmm. Let's just really focus on today. Not that we don't plan, we do. Right. But I don't want to get excited about anything except for today. Let's enjoy today. So on my little calendar that's next to me, where I handwrite it, I got the true who pod, <laughs> exclamation points, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Lots to talk about today. Oh, we do have a lot to talk about. I like it. I like it. Uh, we're going to kick it off with uh, Ask Coach Thorpe, for those of you that want to Delve into the mind of Coach Thorpe and all his basketball musings. Send us an email at truehoop at truehoop.com. That is T-R-U-E-H-O-O-P at truehoop.com. And I'm glad that um, we have a question to start with today because I did want to actually ask you something not quite related to this, but a question. Uh -huh. And normally I would just text you offline, but then I said, you know, it's kind of rude to hog all of Coach Thorpe's insight just for myself. <laughs> I should share with other people. So I, I decided to ask my question and share it with others. But we'll okay. first start with uh, Daryl Wills. Who said in our last episode we talked about no one being able to guard Luca or players like him, and he's wondering why a player's skill set, size, IQ, and all the metrics that make them a superstar offensive player don't transfer over to the defensive side of the floor. What makes those players not able to do it on both sides? Reluctance, boredom, drive, intensity, and are there any players that are close to being as good offensively as they are defensively? Okay, so um, I, I make sure I get everything mm -hmm. here. First of all. I didn't mean to say nobody can guard those guys. It's, it's just very hard. It, right. To to be more nuanced and accurate, the whole goal, it's 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 blackjack. We're trying, as a defense, we're trying to deal 16s if you play blackjack. The problem with, like Kevin Durant, I told you, everything's an 11 to Kevin Durant. You can mm -hmm. double the hunt on all of it. Mm -hmm. Luca's pretty close, yep. but yep. he's not seven feet tall. And he's not quite as quick with the ball as, as oftentimes as, uh, as Kevin Durant still can be. So we're trying. So there's. So the idea with guys like Luca, you're trying to make them take the tougher shots, and then you just have to live with the result because they're amazing. This is how you play with everybody, by the way. But lesser players tend to make those tough shots less, right? And they're unable to counter what you're forcing them. Uh, the best players don't just take what you give them. That's a myth. 
Why would they ever do that? That's terrible offense. They're going to get what they want. And then they may have to settle when you take it away for what's next. But they initially want to get what they want. They're not just going to take what you give them all the time. So, um, so yeah. So what makes Luca? let's use him as a mm-hmm. great example, uh, uh, so much better offensively and defensively. And I think the, the whoever sent the question mentioned some good things. But it starts with this. Offensively, you have the ball. So the ball is a magic wand. It can make you do different things. I can make you think I'm going right, but I'm going left and vice versa. I can make you think I'm shooting, but I'm really faking to make you foul me. Or I'm faking and then driving by you. Or I'm attacking forwards. You have to respect the fact that I may go get a layup or a dunk, and then I'm pulling it back to shoot the three. The ball allows me to be quicker than what I really am. Defensively, I don't have any of that ability. I strictly have to either guide you somewhere, meaning I'm taking away your right hand, I'm making you use the screen, I'm making you reject the screen, and I'm making you change direction. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing that we talk about. If you're guarding Jaron Jackson Jr., don't let him finish left hand around the rim. So I can do some of those things, but I can't dictate any more than that because I don't have the ball in my hands. It's just a different thing. And so that makes it much harder. The, the, uh, the Larry Bird was famous for being much better off the ball def- defensively than on the ball, especially on the perimeter. That's, w- that's why. He just wasn't a great athlete. Athleticism really matters. Uh, there's lots of things you can do when you're not a great athlete. Uh, when the Utah Jazz were doing well a couple of years ago, George Niang was raiding along like Rudy Gobert as their best defensive player, which seemed impossible to imagine. He was called the minivan for a reason. I think he maybe almost called himself that. But George was very aggressive on the ball. He didn't let you get comfortable. You didn't just seek him out to take advantage of him because he made you uncomfortable. That's a, that's a trick that, that I teach, for example, for players who are going to be targets. right? J.J. Redick learned when he was targeted more to just fight, be feistier, be tougher. And a lot of players, it's just like the law of the jungle in a sense, they don't want to pick on the super aggressive buffalo. They, they want to pick, pick on the kid mm-hmm. right, or the sick one, right? Tell the NBA is they're going to pick up the sick one, right? Um, so I think the question is really good about I think I think he or she asked about um, uh, who is close to being really good at both. Mm-hmm. So let's think of some: Giannis, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Shea, mm-hmm. who Kawhi. He, yeah, he was the third name mm-hmm. I was thinking about. Is Kawhi Joel Embiid? Um, Can be pretty good defensively. Embiid ranks right now, I think, right there among the top ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, PG, mm-hmm. LeBron, mm-hmm. peak LeBron. Like those guys, mm-hmm. yeah, LeBron, even at his age, I don't know what his metrics are this year, but historically, LeBron has been one of those guys. So these are what are they? Long, strong, athletic, tough, right? And also magical with the ball. Because if you don't, aren't magical with the ball, you're not going to be able to do those things. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just can't be quite as good. So great question, but don't ever think for one second, Joel Embiid, I'm sorry. Luca can't be better. Tyrese Halliburton against the Celtics the other night. All they did initially was feast on Halliburton, probably because he just came back from injury mm-hmm. and probably because he's not a good defensive player also. Mm-hmm. So uh, they can be better. They got to fight harder. Why don't they foul trouble, which we're going to talk more about later. Um, uh, energy expended on defense mm-hmm. necessarily, potentially subtracts from what you can do offensively. Mm-hmm. So those are issues too. Um, I know this, you, you, in my opinion, it's still not understood well enough. Uh, uh, the fact that the referees are calling things the way they are this year has really raised a fair question about how important is defense truly. We'll find out this postseason if they call it the same way they're calling it now. But until at least we see that, you have to care. Yeah. You can't just whitewash people offensively and smoke them out with threes and everything and expect just to win automatically because defense matters. No, 100%. 50% of the game. I mean, so much of it for defenders and people who are so minus in that end, a name like Halliburton comes to mind, you have to first have the effort on that end and want to do it, right? Like, it it starts there. And so many players have zero interest or effort on that side of the the floor. Yeah, and and just to finish the thought, we've said this, I think, once before on the show, uh, Harden used to get a bad rap. His years were way better, Mm -hmm. almost in every case than our bad defenders now that are great offensive players. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Steph defended much, much better uh, uh, than we're seeing some of the top uh, scorers now do it. No doubt. Uh, this moves me to something I was thinking about, David, as I, you know, 
obviously watch a ton of basketball, go to a bunch of games locally. Um, I was thinking about um, the Clippers and James Harden's, yeah. um, for lack of a better term, pick and roll camp. How it first started with Zubac yeah. and the big man, and then all a bunch, a bunch of other players started to come too, right? And I'm going to make an assumption that potentially coaches weren't present at that. It was just the players working on it. Coaches could have been, but that's the assumption I'm making. And I, I make that assumption because watching games, as everybody knows, when a timeout's called, the players are often on the bench with themselves for a while because the coaches are out sort of like at a little bit away from the bench, 10 feet in front of, diagramming where the next play is, talking about whatever they want to address. And I often watch the players themselves talking about either something that just happened on the floor or something that is going to happen or something that they can work on. And I was wondering, from your perspective as a coach, you always talk about how this is a coach's league, and I don't disagree. But how important is it for players to be able to communicate with one another what they see on the floor and, in a sense, problem solve on their own or, in those breaks, diagnose something. And when the coach comes back and says, hey, coach, when X happens, we're seeing Y. What do you think? I mean, I think that's one of the probably least understood aspects of our game that have real value, has has real value. Uh, I was talking to um, a Pacers fan the other day, an insider who's connected to the Pacers. He doesn't work for the Pacers, though. And he was telling me, he asked me if I noticed how often Halliburton and Siakam had been talking, and I had not noticed. This was before Halliburton was back, so this was maybe four or five days ago. He's only played one game against Boston, and I, I, I hadn't seen that. I, I don't typically watch uh, that kind of stuff when I've got four and five right. screens running, which I've had a lot recently. Um, and, and this guy who's very knowledgeable of basketball said, it's a lot of this, you know, I'm putting my hand mm-hmm, over my mouth mm-hmm. for you listen on, on podcasts. They're, they're talking in a way that I don't think they want anyone else to see what they're saying. I doubt they're talking about, hey, do you want to go get steak tonight or seafood? You know, <laughs> uh, they're trying to figure stuff out. I did notice one time Halliburton was on the bench in street clothes. The, uh, someone was shooting free throws. I think it was the other team. And the, and the Pacers were on the free throw line. And Siakam was turning around, nodding his head as Tyrese was telling him something. And then he got on his knees and he turned back around and looked at him again. And I don't think Halliburton was telling him what to do on the play because that would have come from someone on the court. Mm-hmm. It was something else. My guess was it was a big part of the game. It, it might have been, you know, I can't be wrong. It might have been the Boston game when Tyrese was done for the game. It's possible. I don't remember when it was, but uh, but I, it might. I think it was Tyrese saying like, "We need you just to go take over. I'm out." You know. Uh, I'm guessing Jokic and Murray have had lots of conversations. Um, PG and Kawhi and now Harden. Um, I think I may have told you a story when when Corey Brewer got to Oklahoma City. Uh, uh, when Billy Donovan was there, who, of course, Corey yep. played for Billy. He told me a few weeks in that every road game they play, uh, if they're in town th- for the night, the starting five go to dinner. And I want to say it was Corey, PG, uh, Russ, Adams, and I've just gone blank on who the fifth one is. I, I used to know who it was, but I was younger and had a better memory. <laughs> the starting five. They went to, they went to dinner. Uh, and of course, my first thought is, what about the bench? I thought that was pretty important. Oh, Carmelo. Mm-hmm. Did I say Carmelo already? No, you didn't. He was, out, he was in the group. Yeah. PG and Carmelo. And it, that was meaningful to Corey because he had just gotten there. The other guys had been there all season. Uh, that kind of stuff, I think, I think it really matters. Our game is jazz. It is, it is fast, free-flowing, fluid, whatever term you want to use. And it's high-volume stuff. And so you've got to start predicting things. I was listening to someone talk about Yoko Chamuri the other day, just how, how beautifully they play together at like a dance. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't come from reps. It also comes from knowledge, a knowledge base. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read Blink. Mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell. second mm-hmm. book, I want to say. Yep. So we were much younger when we read it. I think in that book, Gladwell wrote about people in the you know, linguists in that world would videotape conversations and then press mute. And, and press fast forward, and it looked like a dance. We're humans. That's as a species, I think we're that way, mm-hmm. right? We, you and I, mm-hmm. uh, I'm changing up our top five mm. at the end <laughs> because I feel like we've done this so long. We're always going to say the same thing, right. so I'm trying to spice it up. You'll see. Do you keep doing what you're doing? Don't change a thing. <laughs> um, I, I so with time that happens if you're open, mm-hmm. which is super important. Mm-hmm. I think our best players tend to be open, uh, but I also think they need to be willing to confront willing to deal with conflict 
and resolve it the right way and be better for it. You know, I, I can't believe Draymond Green was was all kumbaya all the time when they were winning championships. Right. I think they found a way to resolve issues they did and they were better for it. So it's really, it's, you asked me a great question. I think it's super valuable and it's something even at the high school level uh, when I was helping, I really pushed it. But I would tell you now when a, when a high level player is traded and I am friendly with the player or work with a player or whatever, I'm always advising that player to spend extra time talking to the top players. You talk to everybody, but solve problems with the top players and the best coaches recognize who their brainiacs are mm-hmm. and go to them. Yeah. Which is why I go back to saying Doc should have been saying to Harden, let me just listen. Mm-hmm. First day, cameras are on. I ain't saying a word, James. Tell me what you see. Let's get the big fella at MVP. How do we do it? That's what should have happened. Because mm-hmm. the best coaches do that. No, I love it. I love it. I, I was at it was in Brooklyn last night for the Suns and Katie's return. And I saw a lot of that with Booker, Katie, and Beal, just like when a timeout was kind of three of them, either if they were on the court together walking across diagramming what just happened or if two are out the other one on the bench saying getting up being like no no no. when so-and-so is cutting from here you got to lift or you've got to drop or it's just really amazing stuff and i'm like all right this is how these guys figure this stuff out right it's not just to your point reps i like it i i think about this all the time actually and i mean this all the time i think about the the level of the, the the number of games that are that our veterans our best players have played going back to high school aau and then high school basketball. Many of these guys have been playing for high-level teams, winning, trying to win championships, playoff. You know, LeBron James' toughest games his senior year were not against the Oak Hills. Smoked. You can, someone can look it up and tell me if I'm wrong. My memory is, because I, I was friendly with one of the coaches, smoked out the <laughs> other national powers. But the in-conference Catholic League games in Akron, fucking war. Right? So when these guys have gone through their districts against teams that have played them two, three, four times a season, Forget about the spring league and the fall league and then the way they know each other through AAU. So they've gone through that. They've gone through their one, two, three years of college, whatever. And now they're in the NBA and they're 28 years old. Oh, my goodness. They played a billion chess matches. matches. They're grand masters. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that I say this all the time to my top players. I'm not sure I see anything you don't see. You may not just be mindful of it because there's so much to be mindful of. And I think I can maybe provide some mindfulness to something that you maybe are overlooking because there's 8 million other stimuli in your brain. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. For the rookies, they ain't seen nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> now, it's amazing to watch them learn, just like as a dad, when you see your kids doing things like, oh, my God, I couldn't even think about this two weeks ago. And now they're expert. For young, I, I have rookies every year. And to see they're going from puppy dog to wily <laughs> pet, in a sense, like because they're not, they can't do much. Right. They're limited, right. right? But they can do what they can do within that space, and they're not puppies anymore. They're not bouncing around. Christian Brown in the NBA Finals was not the same right. as Christian Brown in November of his first year. Yep. So that part is fun. But, boy, when you start letting these guys learn and talk, it really makes a difference, I think. Well, that's a perfect dovetail into your article that came out yesterday, which is basically the end of the Warriors dynasty and what caused it. And uh, if those of you that are not true subscribers, you shouldn't be. Uh, you read that excellent article by David, you point out the two timelines was really the disaster that caused the end of the dynasty. And it is because of what you just said. When you're a rookie, particularly, first of all, playing the NBA hard enough, but playing in the Warriors oh. offense on top of being a rookie, that's a PhD yeah. course. I think you use math. So it's that's advanced calculus. And these dudes haven't mastered algebra yet. Well, I guess what you're going to yeah. do in calculus, flunk, right? Because it's hard if you don't know algebra. And that's what was happening with the Warriors. I think so. Uh, so the, the, we did a poor job. It's my fault. It's all my fault. But I did a poor job uh, making sure the final article, because Travis Moran is an amazing editor. I'm, so, I'm not nearly as smart as I may seem to be because <laughs> Travis really helps a lot. I, it's just a fact. Henry as well, obviously. Both those guys look at everything I write. Um, and I failed to express what I thought was the, maybe the best uh, metaphor I could use, which is this. Uh, I learned this when I was in college. I took an amazing class called Exceptional Children. And it was basically about um, uh, disabled citizens. You have to be a child. So we we studied blindness and deaf and and everything, deafness and all of it. And um, so I've written this before and we've talked on the show. If you you take a blind person, bring them into a mansion or a big house, whatever, and you just walk them through every nook and cranny, okay? 
then walk away. They're good. They'll know. They they, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They will get around as if they've lived there with sight their whole life. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you just drop them off, here's the key. Good luck. Mm-hmm. It's it's very, very hard for them to get a feel. This is what we studied in, in class uh, you know, 40, 38 years ago. Uh, well, really, that's what the Warriors did is they brought these, you know, these young players in and basically it's like, figure it out. Here you go. Because it takes years. Like if you're in a gigantic mansion, you're not going to do that in an afternoon. Right. It's going to take a while to get something that, that doesn't see well. Uh, it's the same thing. The Cuisinart is so hard to master. And we've seen evidence of that, mm-hmm. obviously. And, and then I also wrote, as you know, how little these guys had played compared to that core. Mm-hmm. Right? Clay, three years of college. Mm-hmm. Draymond, four. That's Steph, three. was it three? three? I don't remember. Three. three. Mm-hmm. But between them, 157 college games. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kaminga played in the G League. I'm sorry. Right. The, the Ignite this year, 0-15 <laughs> in the regular season. Right. Like, they'll have, they'll have eight guys in the All-Star game or whatever it is, but they're 0-15. Like, it's not real basketball that, that they play anyway. They're not studying the way they are. Uh, uh, Moody played one season in Arkansas, which is a significant program. Mm-hmm. And I think I think uh, Musselman's a very good coach. And Weissman played three games and dominated everyone when he was in high school because he's so much bigger. They just – they could not comp- – so what I wrote is they should have added uh, – Veterans. Yeah. I, the example I used, and there's many I could have used, Malik Beasley mm-hmm. for the Bucks, mm-hmm. basically top two in the league in three-point shooting and not a minimum deal. Yep. They should have gone that route and then realized when it's over, it's over, and then we'll just start over kind of thing. And who knows what happens if you get lucky. Maybe you get a guy on a cheap deal that, that's young, right? and maybe he grows into it. That's always possible too. But the reality is, I mean, Gerard, tell me, do you think they're going to even make the playoffs? No, we we did our I mean, make the playoffs. We did our draft on Monday of, cha- of title yeah. contenders, and neither one of us took the Golden State Warriors from the Western Conference. Well, that was for the top. That was top four. Yeah, but still, there was, yeah. it was eight teams were selected between the two of us, and the Warriors right. weren't among the eight teams right. selected. Right. Um, so could they could they make the top ten of the West? Sure, sure. they're playing better. Right. I have, but it's just yeah. a hope. That they'll go beyond anything. I, I have no that. confidence they're going to win the play-in and then go on some run during the postseason. Like the, you yeah. know, I understand why people do it. It's because you know we've seen it. We've seen the movie before. We've seen these these particular actors yeah. do the thing. Yeah. The problem is, right. this isn't like acting where you can just recite your lines and go. You got bad people trying to stop you on the other side. Exactly right. <laughs> You're bad guy. Exactly. Right? <laughs> You've been around me long enough. The other guys are trying to shoot you in the heart every fucking day. Exactly. So yeah. I just don't. Yeah. I don't see it, you know. Um, look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But that's just not what I see happening for these Warriors this year. Yeah, the, the, the odds are very, very low. And and you know, someone wrote, someone commented, which I'm I'm fine with them commenting. By the way, the reason why I failed on the blind thing is I didn't go into that detail, and I needed <laughs> yeah. to. I needed to make sure it was in the final one. I would never make fun of blind people. That's for sure. Make fun. I don't make fun of anyone. It's not my thing. I, I'm not someone that's jocular that way. Um, but. Someone said that, you know, I'm wrong to say that Weissman had the talent Embiid did. Uh, no, I'm not. No, you're not. I feel very, very comfortable. First of all, he went number two above LaMelo. Embiid went number three. Both were coming off injury, okay? Uh, I saw Embiid as a senior in high school. Really, really talented player. Um, I talked to a lot of people about Weissman when he was 17, 18. Uh, I've talked to a lot, five or six NBA players who have played with him and more that have played against him. Well, probably equal number. Blown away with his talent. Blown away. You remember Darko? Mm-hmm. I've never talked. Ask anyone that's ever. They're all retired now, pretty much. Ask maybe Kevin Love. Is he? You can ask him. Ask them about Darko. <laughs> Absolutely otherworldly talent. Just really managed very poorly and just kind of lost it. Couldn't and it I think probably with James. Meanwhile, I've watched. I've watched Bagley play recently. Mm. He was pretty damn good. Yeah. Not defensively, but no one on that team's guarding. Right. He's a handful. I loved him coming out of Duke. I loved him at Sacramento. It was a bad franchise for a long time. And uh, and now he's in Washington. We'll see what happens. But Weissman was every bit the talent Embiid. I mean, I'm not the same player. I'm not saying he right. could shoot like Talented Embiid. Yet. But I meant his overall impact. He could have an MVP level impact. Uh, uh, and just was really, it was a, a bad handle on all the sides. Well, David Bagley, his high school, that high school class of his, that, when he was the number one guy, if you go back to that draft, yeah, right? He, he was the guy. They were like, "Oh, Marvin Bagley." That he was, was drafted guy. number two. He he was the Went guy. Duke. Yes, he was the yeah. guy. And yeah. let's not I, forget. And you brought this up in the article. I think it was Embiid's first three seasons. You're like, you know how many points Joel Embiid scored in his yeah. first three seasons? First, first two first seasons, season. zero. Right. 
And remember the <laughs> articles that were coming out about him then, then David? No, he's drinking, he's drinking too many Shirley Temples and like not. Oh, oh. That's right. So anyone who back then would have said, oh, I knew he would have been MVP. Impossible. No, you didn't. You didn't. I mean, maybe you did. But most people did not did not know that because you, you didn't know if he was going to have the drive, the work ethic, was going to manage probably the injuries. You had no idea. Like we say all the time, where you get drafted and what yeah. happens to you plays such a critical role in what eventually turns out. And yes, you as the player have to have the want to mindset and the, which by the way, that ain't easy. Like you think, oh, they made the NBA. They'll have the same, not necessarily like, and you know, that's maybe the case with, with James Wiseman and some of these other guys. I talked to a, I talked to an NBA player last night um, about a player he knows named Jairus Walker Mm -hmm. who plays for the Pacers. Really talented player, I think. Potentially a game changer for them. If he can end up being a three, because he won't be a four over Siakam now, at least the next few years, if they re-sign him, which I think I suspect they will. But but Rick Harlow playing with someone three, and he looked pretty good. Mm -hmm. He's not very tall, so uh, but he's super long and athletic, whatever. But this person who knows him well, not friend wise, but as a player, he wasn't sure how hard he was going to work. He he said he didn't say I definitely know he's not going to do it. It was a question. As some guys don't have that question. This guy had a question about Cheris. So we'll see. Because if he really puts it, I mean, it, it's just hard. Yes. You have to be coachable, but you have to put in time. Uh, I love the players. You know, you know the old saying, you want to have the optimism of an 80-year-old man that marries a woman uh, 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 who's 30 years old and buys a big house, next, <laughs> buys a mansion next to an elementary school. <laughs> right? It's kind of a sexist thing, but you want right. to stand the point For of sure. optimism, right? Yes. Uh, I like the NBA player. Who who live who buys a place below his means next to the arena, next to the practice facility? I love that because that tells me, oh, this dude just wants to hoop. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, uh, I talked to my son about this. One thing he loved about his Florida State guys is we don't they don't really go out. Like we just we just want to get better all the time. That isn't always the case mm-hmm. in the NBA. It definitely isn't always the case. But the guys that just want to hoop all the time, and I know who they are. Because they're calling me at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night mm-hmm. or texting me, mm-hmm. watching the game. like, And they're 22 years old or 25 years old. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. The 25 is not so bad. Unless, you know, unless you're, if you're single, maybe a little different. But these guys, are they're addicted to the game. Yeah. And they're addicted to working. And they're, they don't want to fail. That's, that's a good recipe right there, man. It, it, we, you talked about it before on a previous show. It's embarrassing also, right, to fail, right? You, you don't want too much of that, right? That's a great point. It's just not. For sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can, be, you can be motivated a lot of different ways. You can, you can be motivated in a selfish way. It does mean you're not working hard. But the, going back to our original point, it's hard to do that. When you, that's why you see, like, look at, look at OG and Siakam since the trade. Mm-hmm. Like, this love us like they, they pulled off their outer shell. Like, oh, my God, these guys are playing with joy. Mm-hmm. Tells you something about Toronto. Yeah. By the way, what yes. would Scott, Scotty Barnes do if there was suddenly more joy oh, there? Yeah. Um, it, it, inspiration matters. Fit matters. The roster matters. Mm-hmm. The strategy matters. In Wiseman's case, um, it hasn't gone well. Kaminga's coming mm-hmm. around nicely. Mm-hmm. He's looking like a positive player. Uh, can he help carry a team in the playoffs? It's silly. Right. He's not 21 now. years old. Yeah. yeah, probably not. But um, we're all, I mean, who, nobody, the point of the article is nobody wants to root to see Steph lose. Right. We'd like to see him compete. For, he doesn't have to want to be him. He gets the, he has the privilege of choosing, right, right. Gerard? Wherever he wants to go. If he wants to, if he wants to stay in San Fran sure. and continue to win 32 to 40 games a year, That's it's his prerogative, but we just have to applaud. But if he says, guys, it's time, mm-hmm. then I, then I think they should say, just tell us where you want to go. We're not going to do the Dame thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're Steph Curry. Right. Right. Big difference. Dame's amazing. He ain't Steph. Right. Where do you want to go, Steph? Give us three weeks. Mm-hmm. Now it's too late this year. Yeah. Now you get two weeks. Right. But no, I'm sorry. You get one week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> week from today, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Week from today. Trade deadline's a week from today, February 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it's not now, it would be the summer. Like, if you want to go somewhere, we'll accommodate you wherever you want to go. We owe you that. Oh, w- without question, they owe him that. Um, my guess is, I doubt that happens. My figure, he stays in Golden State, and they try to figure out, okay, how can we retool around you? I don't know how they do that without giving up any of the young talent. But And I, and I wouldn't because... <laughs> Then you're going to be unless st- you know. Draymond really turns a corner and they decide to move him, and Wiggins plays like he did against the Sixers, right? Four nights in five instead of one night in nine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe and and someone's willing to take that big contract. Probably probably not. So Clay is done. Mm-hmm. They could resign him to a much lower deal if they want to. There's no guarantee they will. Mm-hmm. They feel they may feel like they owe Clay. That's a problem. Looney, I could see getting traded tomorrow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, just because you can shake that up. And he's not overpaid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I could see some shake up there, but I don't think like you said, I, well, you said it right. I think it'll be more of the off season. We might see something really yeah, happen for sure. All right, guys, we'll be back after a brief commercial break. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book, maybe show up for a friend? Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapists for my partner and I, and both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TrueHoop. All right, David, uh, something that's gotten a lot of chatter around the league, and we talked about it uh, a, a little bit as well, but not not so in-depthly, is the NBA's uh, minimum games rule that players have to play in order to be eligible for the postseason award. So MVP, Rookie of the Year, DPOI, all those six man, blah, blah, blah. And the all NBA teams, uh, which include all defense, all rookie, et cetera. 65 games is the minimum. And at the time when the rule came out, I think Henry was on the show then, maybe not, but he either said it to us via message. We all thought, well, this is just silly, right? And it's it's the NBA, you know, telling on itself, right? Like you realize that you have too many games on your schedule. So you set this sort of artificial number of 65. Um, and we we're already having complications around that because two of the league's premier players are already up against the the the, the wall, so to speak, with only a few games they could miss the rest of the year, and we have quite a number of games to go still. Um, Is that Embiid and Halliburton? And Halliburton, correct. Um, and this matters uh, particularly for Halliburton because he's he's in the last year of his rookie deal. Next year, his extension kicks in five years with the base of 201, I want to say. But if he were to make an all-NBA team this year, which if all things being equal, he should. Absolutely could. That's an extra $40 million now that he will not get if he doesn't meet the 65 game threshold. Um, and there's a chance that he won't, right? He has to, I think he can only miss three more games the rest of the year, which pff, I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a whole lot of games. Three, right? To, to miss. And Embiid, right now, we both we both have said, is playing like the unclear, uh, the undisputed, excuse me, MVP of the league. Well, if he doesn't play 65, he will not be back to back MVP. And so a lot of stuff's been coming out about it. And Halliburton was talking to the athletic and he said, I think it's a stupid rule. Like plenty of the guys in the league do, but this is what the owners want. So as players, we got to do our job and play in 65 games if we're able to. So that's what I got to do. Take care of my body to be able to play in those games. And I think you're seeing other players in the league kind of face the same thing as long as the owners are happy. And I thought that was interesting him saying that. I'm like, look at you, young man. Like you're not even like an established vet. And you're already like, well, as long as the owners are happy. And I was like, guys are grown ups, man. I was like, good good for you. I was like, good for you. Knows how to play the game. I was like, good for you. Look. This the league has been disingenuous about this whole thing, and I think Henry talked about it. It was very easy to lump load management and blame the players for this, and it fits a narrative, right? Ha! Those casual fans or those people who don't care about the NBA can say, "I know all along these guys are lazy and don't want to play." And you and I mean you especially know that is nothing it's offensive. Could, it's offensive, exactly offensive. You talk to these guys all the time. If they wake up one day and say, yeah, I want to sit out for five games because I just feel like it. That's not how this works, people. They don't want to do that. Okay. Teams are often telling them, look, man, based on what our our data is saying, we don't think you should play right now. You know, you're at the risk of this happening, that happening. And they understand that and they want to protect their bodies, but they're also competitors. And David is a rhythm aspect to this too. And a lot of guys will talk about that. They don't like their rhythm getting broken. A lot of these guys are used to NBA is every other night and they're just, that's how they're used to playing. They skip two, three days. They're like, no, nah, my shot feels weird. I feel weird. Like they want to be out there hooping. And so it's a delicate balance. And again, the league is 
The league cares about its money, broadcast deal, its television partners, the fans. And I think pointing is out at the players is just so disingenuous. Um, and we can definitely talk about that ludicrous um, science report that the NBA came out with and said, according to our report, load management does not, unlike, and again, I want to be very clear about this, this quote unquote report. I'm using air quotes for those of you that can't see. This was not a public uh, press conference where all NBA media were invited. Let's put it this way. True Hoop was not at that press conference because if we were, I mean, <laughs> I am sure multiple questions would have been asked. Can we talk more about that report? Who actually ran it? What was the science behind it? Like, none of that was made available. Everybody who was there just pumped out the league's press release. Yay, load management doesn't, doesn't lead to less injuries, which we all know. Come on. That's not how science works. Because that, by the way, David, if that were true, what a scientific breakthrough that would be, right? You don't need rest. You can play a ton and you don't get injured. Wow. I mean, that would lead scientific America if that was actually true. But we know it's not. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. I almost don't know where to begin. Um, you, this, you started off with the rule. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw someone, I don't really tweet anymore, but I do get on it sometimes. Uh, I think it was Twitter. It might have been threads about... Um, the vote it was some voter who wrote, "We factor that in mm. when we're looking at all them. We don't have, we don't need that arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. We already if some plays sixty six games, some plays you know twenty eight, mm-hmm. forty two. Right. We we factor all that mm-hmm. in, and we have metrics. By the way, the earned wins is that cumulative number mm-hmm. over the course of a season. At least I think it is. Um, the, I, I said this to someone the other day. Maybe maybe it was you guys too. Uh, so I first thing I would say to a player on I, not after a game, but the next day. Yeah, sometimes after a game, but always the next day. How you feeling? First question. Normally, I'm talking physically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll say, "Feel great." Not commonly. Mm-hmm. If there's something, and I need, I want to know what's going on. It's part of what I tell them. I have to love you like you're my child, even though you're not. Mm-hmm. I have to go through the the motions in a way uh, because I have to know these kinds of things. It helps, and then we report to mm-hmm. the agent or the team or the physio mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, these guys are beat up. They're beat up. They're dying to play. Tyrese put it beautifully. I saw him interview yesterday. He was pulled from the Celtics game. Yes, when he got hurt. Uh, they, they were getting beat up. They ended up coming back and taking the lead without him in an amazing, really fantastic game at 22 minutes. And he said, I think either after the game, I think it was after the game, um, but I saw it yesterday. Uh, sometimes you have to have these minutes restrictions to save the player from themselves. I mean, I don't don't take my word for it, and and I don't I don't mean to say this and sound any differently than what it is, but I, I do talk to players every day. Uh, if you looked at my phone, um, I'm not a journalist. I'm in the media, but I'm not a journalist. I serve a different role. I really I get their truth, and I don't ever talk about it. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, these guys, man, they always want to play. And your point on rhythm is exactly right. You only you just left out the most important thing, mm. which is dribbling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Depending on their injury, mm-hmm. if they're hurt, like if you have a bad back, you can't practice dribbling. If you have a broken left thumb, you can dribble right hand all you want. Mm-hmm. You can do all sorts of running and movement. If, you're, if your legs are hurt, as my son did when he broke his ankle, he sat on a chair, and I know because I had to chase the balls down when he lost them. <laughs> handle, 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 handle. But when it's a back issue, you're shut down. And so if you can't do that, then you can't also shoot typically. Mm-hmm. And the game just feels awkward. Your handle feels awkward. You'll know what I'm talking about. When you see a player who's, who's a good player and a good dribbler who dribbles it right out of bounds, mm-hmm. kicks it off his foot, or, or literally crosses over and the ball goes way over there, mm-hmm. that's a guy that probably was hurt for the last three or four days and didn't get his reps. Mm-hmm. You'll see a player at a dead ball try to go get a, a feel for mm-hmm. the ball, dribble it a few times if he hasn't gotten many shots during the, the period of time he's been in for whatever reason. Like, all that stuff matters. These guys, they live for the game. Uh, uh, they love to sneak in. Not even sneak. They love to go get shots up at night. Yep. This is what they do. Uh, I talked to an uh, overtime elite player uh, last year. Uh, I don't remember what it was. It must have been this year or last year. And uh, when he was in Atlanta playing the Hawks, which is where overtime elite is, after the game, he went and hung out with a bunch of his old guys from overtime elite. Mm-hmm. And then they went to, like, uh, like, you know, Village Inn or uh, IHOP. Mm-hmm. IHOP, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Maybe Waffle House for dinner. And these guys have some money. And then they went to go shoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Over time, yeah. Like, these guys, all we want to do is play. We have to, we have to be the adults. Mm-hmm. 
right? When our when our children aren't feeling well, but they don't want to miss anything or they want to have that ice cream and we know it's going to be bad for their stomach, we have to speak up because they would definitely do the wrong thing. That's how that's how abuse players are in many respects. They don't they they're bred to feel like they're tougher than anything. And so it's a scary thought and ironic that the league it wants these guys to play through pain and injury in order to meet some arbitrary standard when by definition they're putting themselves at risk to miss even more games which costs even more money to our for the advertising dollars that they want. And the last thing I'll say is Think about a pitcher on three days rest versus five days oh. rest or one, right? It's the same thing. The NBA tracks this. Uh, one day rest, you know, back to back, one day off, two day off. Like they just feel so much better. And to act as if that none of that matters for injury is you're just lying to yep. us. And that that's what I think we all are upset about mm-hmm. is it's it's not just one lie. It's a, it's a conspiracy yep. because there's many people lying and they know each other are lying mm-hmm. when they say to us, that resting doesn't prevent injury. It's absurd to think that that's the case. No, I'm with you 100%. And, you know, you talk about this all the time, who is protecting our players, right? That that's, that's what matters here, right? They, They are the reason why all these billions of dollars exist. They don't exist because of referees and they don't exist because of owners, like the, the talent, they are the talent and the product, their amazing ability to do these things. That's why they generate so much, so many dollars. And, you know, the, the, the more and more, and this is not just in the NBA, this is every major professional league. I mean, European football is the same way right now. They're just adding more tournaments and more games. Like, you, you got Premier League teams and La Liga teams playing three matches, four matches in seven days. That's absurd. Like, these people are going to break down. But, you know, billionaire owners are like, okay, one goes down, who cares? Next cog up in the wheel. That's, that's, that's how the system goes. And it's really a shame. I think you and I both will agree that racism is a big part of how why why some Americans uh, don't like our NBA players. For sure. I, let's we don't have to go into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also an ignorance factor. Um, my wife is uh, she teaches at she's a teacher assistant. She's lower than a sub teacher uh, by choice uh, at a, at the probably the poorest school and uh, certainly in North Pinellas County where we live. Uh, most of her students, 100% free lunches, free breakfast, the whole thing. Her, well, thank her thank right God now, they still have those, David, since most politicians are trying to no get rid joke. of free lunch and free breakfast. Don't even get me started on that. It's so sickening and disgusting and sadistic. Uh, so she, this week, her her teacher, who just lost the, the teacher of the year, mm. she's amazing for the county. She's an incredible lady, incredible lady, but she's sick. And so, and my wife has had a sub. And these are kids who get nothing from home. Typically, there are exceptions. And the, of course, those exceptions are doing great because the mom and dad are home or just mom or dad or grandma and they're on it. But most of these parents are working at night and these kids don't get much. It's really very sad. And uh, and they don't make the progress that they would make otherwise if they had you know homes that did more, parents who did more. That's the irony of the idea of empowering parents. And we have all sorts of problems with that to begin with because parents aren't doing enough. But my wife told me this morning, and you'll hear my point on this. Uh, she doesn't think they'll even have a sub today. So it's going to be her and her kids. And she loves these kids. Mm-hmm. She knows them very well. She brings them stuff all the time, as I've told you. I've seen lots of boxes of granola bars. I've never <laughs> seen them open in our house. I know where they're going, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but you know what? She had to get up at 5.30 every morning. She does her two-mile walk with our dog. She goes into work, whatever. It's not nearly as hard as having to play as hard as you can against the world's best players in a 48-minute game when it's your third night, third game in five days, uh, where you can't just relax or you get embarrassed. My wife, she's not going to put on a video, but there's things she can do if she's tired. She can put the kids on a computer. There's fun. They could sing songs. Mm-hmm. That isn't the option as in professional sports. Right. Not in baseball, football, basketball, hockey. Right. None of it. And so the average, when I say the average, the overwhelming majority of people in their workplace, including you and me, mm-hmm. don't have that same challenge. Right of being physically taxed to the nth degree. We just don't. Even if you're doing manual labor, we, we don't have slavery anymore in this country, although some people may be upset about that. Uh, you can't make someone work to a certain speed or fire them on the spot in most cases. For these guys, if they, they're not going to be cut necessarily, but they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to lose their rotation. All these things matter. They are pushing themselves to a, a level and a limit that we don't, we really can't imagine, in my opinion. 
the, the, the closest I would say comes to that are Amazon factory workers. As those of you who do any detailed work on what goes on at Amazon, their inability to go to the bathroom really? and take breaks and like, oh, yeah, it's really, oh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. They, I, didn't know they, I mean, listen, it's capitalism, right? I mean, ultimately, what we're talking about here is everybody is a, a cog in the capitalist system right now. You can be one of the higher end cogs, right? Get paid a lot, yeah. or one of the lower end cogs. But everyone works within this cog, right? And if you don't work, you don't get paid, right? That's just simply how this how it works. And you know, people, certain people exploit that to the nth degree. Um, and you know, in a way, that's kind of what we're seeing here uh, with with the NBA. Yeah. But um, you know, time will tell. Um, and you know, this this was just I thought it was worth bringing up. We'll see what happens with uh, Halliburton and 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 Embiid. Uh, and some other players, the the, the rest, because they're not the only ones. Those are just the two that come to mind immediately. I mean, they can miss 17 games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you miss two weeks, you're missing eight to 10 right. games. Exactly. And two weeks is a turn angle. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, uh, Julius Randle, the separated shoulder. I mean, it, right? How long is the alpha? I mean, they haven't said, but a separated shoulder at a minimum has been four weeks that I've seen recently. That's really? a month. So, no so one's right. For him. I wow. mean, you're right. That's it. So... Yeah, this is right. this is the reality, man. Um, all right, David. There was an article out um, in a couple of places, actually. I think the Athletic put one out, then ESPN put one out about the offensive explosion that we're seeing in the NBA. Yeah. And I think what happens is a lot of times is people see these absurd single individual point scoring games and go, "Oh my god!" But I'm like, every year we see that at least you know once, twice, maybe three times. We have a couple barrages of like high scoring games, and then. Someone looked in the data and saw offense is scoring more points. But I think, you know, you have much more of an insight than, all right, yes, I see the average points per game is high, but there's more to it than just that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to give you a, a crystal view of something in a second. Uh, uh, it, the, the, let's get the obvious part out first. The court is more open than ever. Our pace is amazing. And so when you have that kind of vertical spacing because of the racing, you have just more room. It's not just horizontal spacing, it's vertical spacing too. So you you have less obstacles in your way to shoot and score and drive and all that. Uh, our skill game is incredible. We have fours and fives bring the ball up all the time, mm-hmm. Jokic mm-hmm. and whatever. Embiid's unbelievable. Embiid's the best shooter in the league. It's crazy. Uh, inside three. Mm-hmm. But I think he's over 40% from three. Mm-hmm. I'm almost positive he is. It's yeah. So we've never seen anything like this before, which just stretches the defense out even more also. But what's really happening in a lot of these games, not, not a lot, I'm guessing in a lot, because I can't watch all of them, is the, and Hollinger wrote about part of it, and I think he missed something. He said free throw rate isn't up, but that's not the, that's not the factor. The reality is you can't touch, a, you can't put your hands on a player anymore, right? I've always said hand checking was overrated. It is. But touching, it used to be you could put your hands on a guy and that could call for a foul. It doesn't mean you had any impact. At least we're going to call for a foul, but now you're being called for a foul. If you, I call it getting narrow. Mm-hmm. So a guy's coming at you, you get narrow. They're, they, as soon as you put a hand on them, they tend to blow that whistle. And so I have to teach hands wide, hands wide, or hands tall at the end. Hands off, hands off, hands off. You saw my phone, mm-hmm. lots of hands offs all the time, exclamation points and everything. And so what happens is uh, uh, playing time is the lifeblood of a team. It's the oxygen of a team for a, for a player. You have to play. And so if you get a foul in the first couple of minutes of the game and you want to get playing time, well, you're not going to touch this guy again. So here's an example I'll give you. Booker 62 against Indiana. Mm-hmm. Okay. I watched him play Indiana. Oh, just four or five days before that. Uh, uh, Andrew Nemhard guarded him a good amount. Not only, but although his knee Smith, whatever. Booker went nine of 24 and it was two six, five sledgehammers going at each other. Pounding and pounding and pounding and everything was fine. Other people played good for Phoenix. Booker didn't play so well. So now this game, he goes right at people right away. One of the first plays of the game. This is maybe nine minutes left first quarter. Booker goes to the rim. Uh, uh, Nemhard and, and another Pacers player tall up, go vertical. I'm not sure they even touched him. If they did, it was strictly vertical. It should have been no call. They call a foul on Nemhard. Mm. Should be no big deal. But here's the thing. You're a second-year player. Yeah. Tyrese is out. Yep. I've been injured a lot. Yep. I think he had missed 14 games already with injury. I want to keep playing. I'm, I, right. And so now what? He just knows he knows Booker is going to start sledgehammering him because he just played him five days earlier. So now it's hands off all the time. Well, I'm telling you that happens all the time, right? I, I give Jaron Jackson Jr. credit in the sense that he doesn't <laughs> worry so much about fouls. Really not. 
but it's a problem <laughs> yes, for him too. He got, in fact, he was in foul trouble recently in, in a game that I saw. He, he's incredible, by the way. Oh, he's on the list, by the way, yeah. of guys whose whose offense almost matches their Correct. defense. Correct. He's really coming he as an offensive player. Yeah, without a lot of help around him right now, he's on that list. Um, and so I think it's the it's the way we're calling the touch fouls with our hands. Not to mention just run a guy over and they call a foul and the defense almost always also. It's not as been as 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 egregious as it was during the season. It's still bad, but definitely the hands thing is absolutely there. I'm watching it all the time with all the players that I that I talk to and work with, whatever. And that's a big reason why you're seeing these players jet up because no everyone's afraid to guard yep. them. So as soon as you start stop, as soon as you stop calling those fouls, you will see less of these performances, in my opinion. I, I think you're right, and. Um... Vinny Goodwill of Yahoo Sports, national NBA, senior national NBA writer. Um, mm-hmm. He had Joe Dumars. Um, he interviewed him recently, and they talked about this. You know, is this something the league is concerned about? And, and, you know, the scoring's up. And, you know, and Joe kind of, in, you know, very NBA speak was like, well, we don't sit around in the office going, oh, scoring's too high. We got to bring it down. Or it's too low. We got to bring it up. It just, we kind of just see how things are going and we, we let it flow. We do know the, um, Freedom of movement was something that was emphasized, right? Um, They've emphasized that for years, though. Um, this is another level yeah, of whistle. It, it, there, there really is. And, and I wonder now – so it, what else always happens, and not always, but happens often, David, is we have unintended consequences, right, because of something, i.e. freedom of movement. But it's freedom of movement coupled with, to your point, all five players on the floor are skilled now. That never used to be the case, right? In the 80s and 90s, two out of five were skilled, maybe three. Right. Like, so you had less space, but now with all the space you're talking about, both vertically and horizontally, this freedom of movement may not be such a great idea because now it's, I can't guard and I have to be able to guard these guys credibly. I don't want eighties wrestling and head, I don't know that, but there has to be a way to play defense credibly without every time I breathe on a star foul. It's, it's, yeah. So, so again, to boil it down. So you're attacking me and you surge forward and maybe catches me off guard, the instinct is to grab. Okay, so I'm not going to grab you if I'm an NBA player. I know how to do it. I'm going to suddenly try to occupy you. You can't see my hand, mm-hmm. but it's at your yeah, hip. Below. Mm-hmm. At your chest. I'm just trying to t- get hold a little bit. Mm-hmm. And guide you so a I can little maybe bit. maybe catch up mm-hmm. with my feet. Just a little bit, yeah. And uh, and they're calling that a foul. So now I have a foul. I don't want to get a second foul, or I have two. I don't want to get a third foul. They call a lot of crazy illegal screens. That's always a problem. I always tell players, Assume three bad calls are coming. So you, you can't commit three good fouls, right. meaning fouls that are definitely real, you're screwed. Okay? And so I, I now I'm afraid to even get near the guy. I just have to let him go. And I do tell players all the time, if you can't give yourself a really good chance to make a play on the ball, you have to let them score. Your minutes are more valuable to you and to your team. You have to let – those two points right. are less important than the minutes you'll play overall that you won't be playing if you're in foul trouble or – you won't be able to compete at the highest level that you need, the level you need to, because you're afraid to get another foul. Right. So there's an easy way to clean this up. Stop calling the touch fouls. Just stop doing it. I, 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 a strong forearm shiver, fine. A strong push, fine. An arm to the face, foul. All those are fouls. But the little bit, this is part of the game. This is where I get upset. Is I don't want the I don't want the '90s bloodbaths. Not even close. Right. I don't want wrestling that way. I, I used to always say that basketball is a ballet and a fight at the same time. And it's gotten much more into the ballet part and much away, far away from the fight. We need to get a little more fight in, a little more competitive spirit in, which the postseason supposedly will bring. Let's start doing it now mm-hmm. so we can see what it looks like. Yeah. But we, we didn't need to fix it like this. We have to allow some contact. Yeah. And it also inspires the players to work on their bodies more, work on their game more. You got to play through contact more. Now it's been rewarded for two free throws every time. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I'd be so curious this postseason. I'm be watching this closely. How are refs calling this in the postseason? Is it the same as the regular season? Or do they let stuff go and let people be more physical? That'll be interesting. Another point I thought about, David, because we know that they don't practice in the NBA because how can you when you play a game every other night? You mentioned illegal screens. How much of that do you think is just the synergy of the ball handler and screener not working together enough to know, shit, stop, whatever his angle is coming because we don't practice enough. We don't practice at all. I think it's just a lack of knowledge from the player, big, the big guy especially. We used to always blame the guard. Mike D'Antoni finally brilliantly taught us, no, it's the big man's fault all the oh, pretty much all okay. the time. Stop moving. Just stop. Right? So what he t- we teach our, I teach our players to frame the screen like a catcher does in pitching. I don't know if I ever told mm-hmm. you this before. So you know how a catcher 
gets a little outside the strike mm-hmm. zone and kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes pisses the umpires off. So what I teach my guys is whether you screened illegally or not, stop and then hold your screen a beat longer. Because when you screen and move, even if you weren't sending the screen illegally, that quick move and afterwards tends to catch the referee's attention. So screen and stop for a beat. I also allow sometimes the play to develop. Now, if you don't want to screen, then, then, then ghost it early. Slip it early. But if you're going to set a screen, stop and hold it for at least a beat. Let them get away from you. Let the defender get off of you. Then you can freely move as long as you don't roll into the guard, whatever. Uh, it, it, it pretty much works every time. Okay. Just stop and you'll be okay. And hold it for a little bit longer. So it's mostly, to me, young guys being excited. Because most veterans aren't getting called with many. Unless they're just not mindful of it. And they need to be made mindful. And I tell you, uh, this is where coaching comes in. Coaches who really help their players understand what they should value most are much better off than the coaches who don't. And you have to you have to nip those guys in the butt. You can't let them keep setting screens illegally. And just taking them out isn't always the answer. Teach them it. That's what I try to do is teach them. No, I, I love it. Uh, David, I saw an interesting article today um, from Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports. Um, and it was about Tony Snell, uh, nine-year NBA veteran. Uh, who's in the G? Yeah, Maine Celtics mm-hmm. in the G League right now. I watched now. him play, um, and it was a really, um, I thought, a touching article, just an important one because oftentimes in the NBA, media will say this all the time. In in a trade, you know, the big the big principles get named obviously because that's what people care about the picks. But then there's always what people refer to as salary filler, right? Well, that salary filler is a person usually, right? In order for the salaries to have to match, it isn't like. Money just comes out of thin air. It's somebody else whose salary numbers match and meet whatever the number is so that the equal money going going in both directions. And Tony Snell um, was part of the the, the trade uh, that brought uh, TJ McCollum to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, okay. And he, he, really? he'd ended up on, on the Blazers. And Snell's a you know, 39% career three-point shooter, um, long, athletic athletic guy. Played in Milwaukee. Uh, was, was athletic. Yeah, I mean, he's 30 years old now. So. He's still really long. <laughs> yeah, and can still shoot um, from, from, from what, I, what I understand. Anyway, um, he needs to be on a roster, David, uh, by tomorrow at whatever the, the, the time, the, the day of the, of the time of the day. Yeah. Deadline is noon or 5 p.m. in order for him to hit 10 years. Um, in the NBA. Why does that matter? Well, when you hit 10 years, you're not eligible for a different um, level of benefits within the MBPA's uh, player benefit pool. And why that matters is because Tony Snell has two sons um, that uh, suffer with autism. And if anybody knows anything about children or anyone who suffers from any kind of condition, those things are expensive because you're seeing specialists and there's a variety of things you have to do outside of the norms of regular wellness checks. And because our country is so fucked up with how we do insurance, that costs a lot of money, even for an NBA player. It's just expensive to do these kinds of things. And this higher level of insurance that he would be eligible if he's a 10-year vet would allow him um, to, to take care of his family and his kids and have them have that, that coverage, which, I mean, if anybody's had any kind of medical issues or pays for medical insurance themselves, you know how expensive that stuff is. It's just, it's astronomical. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, it's like... He, these trades happen, and you don't. People don't think of these players as anything more than just people that just show up on the floor and just do this thing that you like to watch. But they have lives, and they have families that depend on them. And this little small thing that doesn't seem like a big deal to anybody, huge if he gets if he gets that 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 benefit. And here's hoping that someone. Picks I watched. Him up. Yeah, I watched them last night. The main Celtics played the uh, 905 team Toronto. from Toronto. Blew them out. Yeah, blew them out. Uh, Toronto, that's bad. Main Celtics are okay. They've got some talent. Uh, I wondered why Tony was still playing the G League. It made no sense to me. He's not a young guy. Now I now I have the answer. And I would tell you, a longtime player of mine told me twice recently uh, that th- he played more than 10 years. Uh, their health insurance is incredible. Like crazy. I won't go into the details because I'll butcher it's it very anyway. Good. Elite. Crazy incredible. Yeah, with like extra money to spend mm-hmm. on this, that, whatever. It's amazing. He goes, this player goes to Vegas every year. In the summertime, because they do a free health screen, full health screen. This guy's uh, he's got to be 40 now. I guess he's around 40 something. Uh, married with kids. He goes to Vegas every year, flies in, does all the screening, flies out, be back with his family. He's done the Vegas thing enough mm-hmm. as a younger man. But how do you beat the free health screening for everything? And he was telling me when the, when the whole uh, FBI sting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of these guys who were basically, I, I didn't know what Stealing happened. Stealing from their, their fellow players. 
what they were doing was uh, claiming that they were going to see certain doctors because mm-hmm. you get money yeah. back beyond all the other incredible insurance you get. Mm-hmm. You get money back, but the doctors were in on it or whoever was writing these scripts, whatever. And yeah, they were stealing. And this player was telling me he's so upset. He's like, because now they're making it even tougher right. on me. I, I, he, first of all, this guy made a lot of money. I appreciate what, what and so, but I, it's almost like people look at me like I'm trying to be a thief because these other people were so wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so glad the NBA, I wish they would value our players while they're playing. I agree. Much as they value them after they're playing. At least we got 50% right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never thought of that with Tony. And now I, I wonder why Alfred Payton was in the, in the G League. Maybe that's why. Yeah. And look, you know, people say, oh, what, you know, again, you guys, it, Tony has made $52 million over his career, which I know to almost everyone listening, that sounds like an extraordinary sum of money because it is. Rich people stay rich by not spending Co- every dime they have. Correct. correct. I was like, $52 million. I was like, let's assume half of that's gone to taxes, agents. All that I mean, uh, you know, think about it. Like, it isn't like Tony's going to go now work somewhere else and do something else for a living, right? Like, it's a very different kind of life, right? So your earning window is very small. So you've got to maximize it when you're a pro athlete. Um, so again, I hope that works out from David. Did you know this? And I didn't know. Tony was diagnosed also with uh, being on the autism spectrum. Because really? he saw the, the article and Jake did a really good job with this, talked about, you know, he would notice certain behaviors from his kids when they were young and at first, he didn't think anything of it because, like, oh, that was just like how I was, you know. And it's like interesting. Wow. Well, yes, because you know that's yeah. It's just it, anyway. Uh, glad that that was solved at least in terms of what the issue was. Uh, a nanny helped him figure yeah. out. Like, I think you might want to get this checked out. And he said, "Okay, wow. we will." And so again, rooting for the Snells. Hope that Tony gets on a gets yeah. on a roster yeah. and he can get that insurance because yeah. that is so so needed. Um, David, the NBA draft seat. Like, this is when I, I don't like the NBA, when they try to do things like the NFL. So now the NBA draft is going to two days, round one on one day, round two on a second day. And I just, I mean, you know how you and I feel about the draft. We think it's stupid, but here we are. I know why they're doing it, though, I think. I think it's because the, the additional two ways mm. mean more of these guys are going to at least get a chance. And so I think... I think their heart's in the right place, separate from the entertainment part of it. Um, they want to just do a better job in round two because those guys are going to – they're not shipping them to Europe right, right. away necessarily right. uh, or giving them a roster spot. They'll get a two-way, not a roster spot. There's three two-ways. Mm-hmm. And so those second-round picks are more valuable than ever. And I watched a game last night. Don Barlow from the Spurs played as a two-way. Gigi Jackson's a two-way mm-hmm. guy, my right, members. for the mm-hmm. Grizzlies. I saw another two-way player play the other day. I'll think of it in a minute. Like they're getting, and they're good. Like they're getting playing time. So I have a feeling that's why they're doing it. Uh, it's it's just it's going to add to the craziness. It's already crazy because you if you don't go first round, you're you're gonna you're probably gonna help a little bit because agents are going to be able to cut deals with teams mm. with their two way guy if they don't get drafted. Yeah. Also, yep. yeah, because you're not gonna have three you're not gonna have three picks in the second round typically, right. and you might have one holdover from a two way from the year before. Maybe yeah, I don't I don't love any of it. I don't think anyone's going to watch it in the second round. I really don't. It's not going to be well. I mean, watched do, do at people all. watch the the first round of the draft much? I'd I'd love to see what the what the ratings are for yeah. that. I, I let's put it this way. What about date? What about day two and three of the NFL? I doubt it's this. I, I, I bet it's yeah no, but I bet it's more than I would posit. Oh, for sure. Day two or day three of the NFL is higher than day one of the NBA. I would posit. Well, that but that's because day yes. two and day three draftees in the NFL are likely Correct. to play on the team. Correct. More. These guys are going to be two-way guys, almost always. Mm-hmm. Not always, but almost always. Certainly after 35, 36, 37, yep. almost for sure there'll be two ways going forward. So, yeah, you're not going to – the teams – the fandom won't be as interested, yeah. I don't think. No, de- definitely not. Uh, all right, David, top five time. You already – you can't give, give us a little, a little hint that you're doing something different here with top five. So what's, what's going on? What's different in top five? So I decided to look at, okay, what do teams look like in January? We're done mm-hmm. now. And then I wanted to go back a little further. So I looked at two things. I'm going to read off my, my list of guys. Mm-hmm. So this was the top five net margin in January. Number five, OKC. Number four, Boston. Number three, Clippers. Number two, uh, Cavs. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the Knicks, number one in January. But I went back to December 15 and looked at record. Same five teams since Woo! December 15 for record. So my number five team... Because they're this fifth, they're tied anyway, fifth best record since December 15, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Ooh. 
Is it the first time that They're my number the Thunder five. broke in for you? Is that the first time they broke in top five for you? I don't. Maybe not. The no, they've been there okay. before. No, they've been there before. Um, first of all, before I they're, they're about eighteen and seven, by the way, twenty five games. We, we like what the, that's a lot. By we the like way. what the Thunder are doing. Um, before I get to my five line, shout out to the Phoenix Suns, winners of eight of the last ten. Um, I, I think good things are happening there. I, I we talked about I it already. Too. We know all the things that we worry about, but beyond their top five, but that top five, pretty good. Okay, my five line. The Denver Nuggets and Cleveland Cavaliers. I got them tied at five. Okay. N- nicely done. <laughs> my number four are the 18 and seven Knicks. My, ooh, my number four are the Oklahoma City Thunder. My number four is the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we're right there. Yeah. Number three, clearly the best team in the league. And I just saw them play a couple of times recently. Very impressive team. But they're 19 and eight since the Super 15 Boston Celtics. Interesting. Third for me this. My number 3, yeah. you just mentioned them and they are in my city right now, the New York Knicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get it. Number 2 for me is the Clippers, 17 and 5, 17 and 5 since 12-15. So they're my number 2. Also my number 2. I just I love what this team and they're and they're deep. It's not just those three dudes. They they got other players too. Again, if that team is healthy, buzzsaw. Yeah. And then I've got there's a there's one team at 16 and four. It's only 20 games. OKC played 25. Knicks played 25. Uh, I think the Celts are um, 19 and six, so they played 25. This team is 16 and four. Your Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say the Cavaliers. Yeah, they have been. Yep. Now look, offensively not great, but defensively, oh my no. goodness, 16th in offense, yeah. maybe second in yeah. defense. But they're missing Garland yeah, and Mobley correct, for a while. Correct. Mobley's back now. Yeah. yeah. Number one, I kept the Celtics. And there. Your number one is possible. Yeah. Um. Look, we got some great. But Philly. Teams. Philly didn't make your list. So Philly's been struggling, as you as you know, David. And Embiid. And now this is a problem for them. If, I mean, listen, he misses any extent, and by extended, I mean like five games or more. They got problems. Yeah. Big, big, big problems. So I think so. We'll monitor that and see what's going on there. All right, everybody, enjoy the basketball this weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Take care. <laughs>